Pod is a ministry of Grace Church Greenwich. For more resources to help you get to know God better through his word, including bite-sized theology and answers to big questions, do check out www.greenwich.church. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to Bite Size Theology. Today we're looking at the doctrine of the new creation and our time starts now. The first thing to see is that God always had the new creation in mind right from the start. In other words, it wasn't that God made the world and then it went wrong and God thought, oh bother, it's gone wrong, I didn't expect that, can I fix it somehow? And then he thinks of sending Jesus. No, even before God made the world at the very beginning, he already had in mind that he was going to save the world and bring about the new creation. And we can see that in various places. And I've chosen three texts from Genesis to illustrate it. The first one is to say that the Sabbath day, the seventh day of creation, always pointed forward. In Genesis chapter two, we read the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he'd done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he'd done. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And unlike days one to six, which all end with and there was evening and there was morning, the first day or the second day, the seventh day doesn't have an end. It just is open ended. It it stretches forward into the future. And then when we get to the book of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter four, this verse is quoted And then the writer to the Hebrews tells us that actually it's pointing to a a future day of rest that Christians will enter if we finish the race. So the day of rest in, in Genesis always pointed forward to the new creation rest, says the book of Hebrews. Secondly, the first marriage, when we're told in Genesis chapter two, that a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. Paul um, quotes that passage in Ephesians chapter five and says it's a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. In other words, Paul says that God always had in mind the relationship, the final marriage between Jesus and his people, even when he created the first marriage. It, It wasn't that God made marriages and then a bit later on thought, oh, I know I could send Jesus and then he could be a bridegroom. Now, even before he created human beings, male and female, he had in mind that Jesus would be the church's bridegroom. It's all there in God's mind, even before creation. And that means that it wasn't naive of God to plant the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden. This is the tree that God said, if you eat of it, then you will surely die. And Adam and Eve disobey God's command to avoid that tree and they eat of it and they die. Um, And you might think, well, this is where everything went wrong. So why did God planted there in the first place you know it's like putting a massive um, bundle of TNT in the middle of a um, of someone's living room with a switch connected to it saying don't touch this switch you know why even put the switch there with the TNT I mean, it's, it's just a, an accident waiting to happen you know the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil would fail any kind of health and safety assessment but of course God knew that Adam and Eve would disobey him it doesn't make it any less wrong But it didn't catch God by surprise because God knew that Eden wasn't the end of the story. Adam and Eve would disobey him and then he would send his son to die on a cross to redeem humanity and bring about the new creation. And we see that because in the book of Revelation, 
we read that Christians' names were written in um, the Book of Life before the foundation of the world. They were written in the Book of Life of the Lamb who was slain. So there was a book in heaven with Jesus' death on the front cover. Inside it were the names of all the Christians who would later live, even before God made the world. So in other words, the whole thing is is plan A. God has in mind the new creation, the death of Jesus, the redemption of the world, even before he makes the first creation. God had the new creation in mind from the start. And it was always going to be better. That's our second point. The new creation was always going to be better. And there's lots of places, again, we can see that. And the first one is in Revelation chapter four and five, which is a wonderful um, couple of chapters full of songs that people sing in heaven to God. And the first one comes in um, Revelation chapter four and verse eight. The four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all the way round and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He was and is and is to come. And then whenever the living creatures give glory and honour and thanks to him who's seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who's seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power for you created all things by your will. They existed and were created. So God's creation of the world, it deserves praise. Holy, holy, holy worthy are you our lord and god and people in heaven are singing about that um if you watch one of the david attenborough films you know, blue planet or um you know one of those amazing nature programs and we see the wonder of creation we ought to be praising god for it and it's a tragedy that david attenborough doesn't but christians ought to praise god for what he's made and in heaven they do praise god for what he's made but then in the next chapter of revelation the praise gets louder In chapter four, they're praising God for creation. But in Revelation chapter five, they're praising the the Lord Jesus for salvation. So verse nine of chapter five, they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you've made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth and then we look he looked and heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing and it and it goes on and this song this new song is louder there's more people in the choir all of creation is singing louder even than the chapter four song creation's good But redemption, Jesus' salvation, is even better. And God's got history to an even better place, an even more praiseworthy place than it started in Genesis chapter 1. And in fact, if you compare Genesis chapter 1 and 2 at the beginning of the Bible with Revelation chapter 21, 22 at the end of the Bible, you'll see that there's lots that's similar But actually, the New Jerusalem is even better than Eden. And I want to show you that with a a diagram on the iPad now. In the first creation, in Genesis chapter 1, we're told that God makes the sun and the moon. Genesis chapter 1, verse 16. 
in Revelation 22 verse 23, we're told the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the lamb. So Jesus himself shines directly giving light to the city. In Genesis chapter 2 verse 9, we're told that the tree of life is in the middle of the garden. Whereas in Revelation, it's not just one tree of life, it's an avenue of trees, like this kind of thing you'd see in Greenwich Park. Uh, Revelation chapter 22 verse 2, on either side of the river, the tree of life. So here's this whole avenue of trees of life. This is a picture from the, the prophet Ezekiel, actually. And the tree of life yields its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree for the healing of the nations. So loads and loads of trees of life, both sides of the river. In Genesis chapter 1, we're told that God made the seas in chapter 1, verse 10. Whereas in Revelation, strangely, there is no sea, which sounds like a disappointment for people who like uh, windsurfing. But actually, it's great news because in the book of Revelation, the sea is where one of the beasts comes from. It's where evil uh, surfaces and attacks the church. Whereas in Revelation, there's no sea because there's no portal through which evil can come. Uh, my favourite illustration of this is whenever you hear in the newspaper about somebody living in a block of flats and a pet python goes missing. And I always think this is terrifying because presumably it's gone down the toilet and it's going to resurface up somebody else's loo in another one of the flats. And sorry if that makes it difficult for you now to go to the loo without thinking about it. But this is like saying, this is a, well, it doesn't quite work the analogy, but like there's no toilets. I mean, obviously that would be bad for other reasons, but there's nowhere from which the serpents can come. There's no sea. That's, that's the idea. In Genesis chapter two, we have a garden. Whereas in Revelation chapter 21, we have a, a city. Again, maybe you like the countryside, but in the Bible, a city's better because it's full of people. In in the garden, we just had two people, Adam and Eve, who were told to be fruitful and multiply, but they never did before they got banished from Eden and they start having kids. Whereas in the city, we have a huge multitude. Um, and actually, that group of people is known as the bride of the Lamb. In a sense, there are still two people. There's still a couple. There's Jesus and his church but his church is made of many many people revelation chapter 21 verse 2 i saw the holy city new jerusalem coming down out of heaven from god prepared as a bride adorned for her husband or chapter 21 verse 9 come i'll show you the bride the wife of the lamb there's one more subtle one we can work out in the garden of eden that it's on a mountain top because there's rivers that flow out from it but actually, Adam and Eve are planted in the east of the garden and they never get to travel west into the centre of the mountain because it turns out they're banished as they leave Eden and they banish further to the east. Whereas in Revelation, the New Jerusalem, well, it's Mount Zion. It's right on the top of the mountain. And what do you find on the top of Mount Zion? You find the temple, except here in Revelation, there is no temple in the city. Revelation 21 verse 22 for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb. So they're, they're right there with God at the heart of his presence. We've seen that God always had the new creation in mind from the start and it was always going to be better. Now, thirdly, the new creation is this world liberated, transformed and purified. 
In other words, it's not that God scrapped this world because it failed and he said, I'm just going to start over and made a new one. Some people have thought that from the language of 2 Peter chapter 3, which talks about the world being reserved for fire and being burnt up and destroyed. I want to suggest actually that the new creation is the same world, but made new. We might call it the renewed creation. And I want to take all the biblical data and we'll come back to 2 Peter 3 in a moment. But let's start with Romans chapter 8. And in Romans 8, Paul talks about the world being liberated, being set free. He says this, the creation will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God, a liberation of the world. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul's talking about Christians' bodies and it says our bodies will be transformed. Let me read from verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. In other words, Paul thinks that's a really stupid question. What you sow doesn't come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare seed, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as his chosen and to each kind of seed its own body. In other words, you plant an acorn, you get an oak tree, you plant a conker, you get a horse chestnut tree, different kind of trees, with different kinds of seeds. And then Paul goes on to say, well, it's like that with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, but it is raised imperishable. It's sown in dishonour. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. So you plant a dead human being into the grave and what you get out of the grave is a altogether transformed, glorious human being. And in the context of the chapter, the analogy for this is Jesus' own body. So Jesus dies on Good Friday and is raised on Easter Sunday and he's glorified. It's a glorious transformation. But it's still the same body transformed it's not like god entirely scraps our first body and replaces it with a different one we know that because when jesus was resurrected his wrists still had the the marks where they put the nails in it was the same jesus but the same jesus glorified or transformed and similarly when we're resurrected it's going to be the same us but transformed he says verse 44 it's sown a natural body it is raised a spiritual body And by the way, spiritual doesn't mean not physical. It's not as if, you know, at the moment I'm flesh and blood and you can touch me and I've got actual atoms. And in the future, I'm just going to be kind of floaty and cloudy and sit on a cloud and play a harp. No, the the new creation is still physical. Uh, When Paul says it's spiritual, he, he means it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. Still physical, but spirit empowered. So the creation is liberated and our bodies are transformed But liberated and transformed doesn't sound like scrapped. Our reading is too Peter that God gets rid of the world and starts again. It doesn't kind of fit with the other images. Um, I suggest we look again at 2 Peter a bit more closely. Peter talks about the ancient world in verse 6 being deluged with water and perishing. And he's talking about the time of Noah and the great flood when God purged the world of evil. But of course, even though Peter uses the language of the the world perishing... This is kind of still the same world, right? It's not like God got rid of the world altogether and made a new planet and there was a new Big Bang. It's the same world. It's just God thoroughly washed it 
with the flood to purge it from evil. And he kept alive Noah and his family and all the animals on the ark. And then in verse 7, he says the same heavens and the earth are going to be stored up for fire. But if the flood was a washing, I want to suggest that the fire is a purifying fire. That's certainly how the image of fire was used in 1 Peter. Peter describes in 1 Peter chapter 7 that your faith is going to be tried or tested by fire. It's like if you have a an 18 karat gold ring and you put it in a really really hot fire you end up with a smaller 24 karat gold ring because the fire burns away all the impurities and refines it so this image of of fire isn't one of scrapping something but rather one of purifying something and if you look even more closely in 2 peter you discover the thing that is destroyed verse 7 is the ungodly god gets rid of evil and leaves behind what is good And in fact, that's the same image that's used in chapter two of one Peter to describe the way that God used the flood to wash away the ungodly in Noah's time. And God brought fire to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. So the the washing and the burning gets rid of the impurities to leave behind uh, what is good. So you put it all together to Peter, I think, rightly understood, is about purifying. Romans eight is about liberating. One Corinthians 15 is about transforming. But it's this world and these bodies that are changed it's the renewed creation finally the new creation has already begun one of the wonderful things about the resurrection of jesus as it's described in john's gospel is it sounds like the beginning of the world all over again john chapter 20 verse 1 on the first day of the week mary magdalene came to the tomb early and found that the stone had been taken away. Now that's significant because in the other gospels it's described as the third day, Jesus rose on the third day, but John calls it the first day and we start the week from Sunday because Jesus was raised on Easter Sunday. Why is it the first day? Well because Genesis chapter 1 begins with the first day, God's creation week, and John chapter 20 is like the new creation week. There's all sorts of hints of that. So um, when Mary comes to the tomb and meets Jesus, she mistakes him for the gardener, which maybe makes us think of Adam and Eve placed in the garden to do some gardening. Uh, Jesus breathes on the disciples and tells them to receive the Holy Spirit, which reminds us of um, the Lord God breathing into the first man, Adam the breath of life it's just described in a genesis one kind of a way because jesus resurrection is the beginning of the whole new creation but then christians as we're joined to christ we enter into that new creation and one of my favorite verses in the bible um, 2 corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 says if anyone is in christ he is or she is a new creation And that language slips in other verses we might know well. So Ephesians chapter 2 says that we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works. God creates us when he makes Christians. Or 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6. God who said let light shine out of darkness made his light shine in our hearts. It's a verse about Christian conversion but Paul uses the language of Genesis chapter 1. When God said let there be light and all the stars appeared... Well, that's what it's like for God to create new life in a Christian. It's like a new act of creation. So Christian by Christian, as people come to know the Lord Jesus one by one, 
Um, the new creation is beginning, is arriving until the final day when God raises the dead, when the world is liberated, when we are transformed, when God in judgment purges it all from its evil and the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth are here. Thank you for coming to Bite Size Theology. Thank you for listening to Grace Pod. For more information about Grace Church Greenwich, visit www.greenwich.church.